You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, a weekly look at drones, the Internet of Things, and all the buzz in between. I'm your host, Liz Wharton, and an attorney with Hall Booth Smith in Atlanta, but for this show, I am not your attorney. Hire your own if you need one. But we're going to jump right in today to all the fun that is going on in the world of drones, commercial drones, operators. You may have heard a cheer going up through the air yesterday, as well as education research institutions, because the FAA released their long-awaited proposed, or actually not the proposed, they released the final rule that will go into effect in approximately 60 days. But what does that mean? And really looking at today and discussing the implications, so we have an exciting show bringing together both information security researchers, private pilots, as well as some of the experts who've been working in this industry and some of the leading university researchers. So jumping right in and talking about with the rules themselves, what what they're going to do and what they mean. Really, it opens up up until, well, August of this year if you are a commercial business that wants to use drones, then you've got to go to the FAA, request an exemption commonly called a Section 333 exemption, which has certain restrictions. You have to have a pilot. You can only have visual line of sight, meaning your aircraft has to constantly be within your line of sight. You can only operate during daylight hours. You have restrictions on how high you can fly. And in addition to all of that, If you are a university, a public entity, so law enforcement, county governments, uh, any entity along those lines, you have to obtain, you also have to request permission from the FAA to fly a drone. It's a little bit easier process. It's a certificate of authorization or waiver, but you do have to jump through that hoop. And with these new rules, once they go into effect, it will take away some of that in the sense of you won't have to, as an operator, you won't have to apply or request that. You can just simply operate under these new rules. So, okay, we know there's some rules. You can go to the FAA's website, FAA.gov, and enjoy reading them. There are 624 pages to the new rule, and I'll admit, as of this show, I haven't finished digging through all of them. But what I can do and talk to uh, both the guests as well as educate uh, the listeners on are the highlights and really where we think it's going to go. And so joining us first is, and I'm not going to get this correct because quite frankly, he is a true renaissance Man, but Dan Tentler with Phobos Group, and not only is he a security researcher 
and expert, but he's also a, well, he flies his own aircraft, builds them, flies them for fun, and really, I was going to say, builds and breaks everything when it comes to drones, computer security. So, Dan, are you with us? I am. Can you hear me all right? Oh, absolutely. So, Dan, let's jump, and did I did I do do you justice with the introduction of you're a maker and breaker of things? Certainly, yeah, absolutely. Well, and uh, I encourage anyone listening, uh, both follow me, of course, on Twitter, at Lawyer Liz, and uh, follow Dan, because he, you share some great pictures of your weekend hobby projects. So, it, it, Dan, what's your Twitter handle, so to speak? It's uh, this, V-I-S-S. So, follow Dan at this, V-I-S-S. And, Dan, it, have you had time to read all 600 pages of these rules? No, they keep changing them. <laughs> and the, the trouble is that, like, one week uh, we have rules that say you're not allowed to fly any aircraft that weighs more than 250 grams, which is asinine, frankly. Uh, and then a couple of weeks later, they change the rules again. Uh, they insist that pilots register their home address, similar to how the ham radio operators are required to register, uh, which puts your name in a publicly accessible database. And you'll see one argument that says, uh, I don't like the idea that somebody can just pick up my drone and steal it, like what happened in a recent video that was been circulating around, circulating around the Internet, uh, then look at the registration number on the drone and just look up the person's home address. I mean, you can't do that with cars. I mean, you can't, you can't look up people's license plates uh, and, and for, for good reason because of things like road rage and uh, angry people out on the streets and things of that nature. Well, uh, I, I, it's curious why people would think that that would be okay um, for, for, for drones. Um, well, you raise, now, you raise a good point, too, to remind everyone that uh, as with everything, nothing happens in a vacuum. That these rules that have come out that are going to provide a mechanism for basically anyone other than a hobbyist. If you're doing this for fun, then you are expressly exempted from these rules. But these aren't the only rules, so to speak, out there. That the registration requirements that were announced in December uh, still apply. That even hobbyists and have to register. They call it a drone registry, but really you're registering yourself. And Dan, as you mentioned, what all goes into that? I mean, your per, your home address. Yeah, is, I think it's home address, phone number, full name, and then whatever registration number you choose for your aircraft. And their intention, while I suspect it's good and it's well intentioned, uh, their objective here is to basically directly, uh, directly circumvent or or avoid. Uh, instances of problems that they've experienced in the past that have caused a lot of grief and have shown up in the news. Specifically, uh, people flying giant, like, DJI S900 style mammoth $15,000 aircraft with $10,000 worth of DSLR attached over a fire so that they can get amazing high-resolution 4K video or other imagery of a live forest fire. And while the photographers and the pilots in that case were good intentions. They probably weren't aware of um, the, fact that, I was gonna say, the fact that their aircraft would be getting in the way. I mean, yeah. it, it's right. everyone is a 
professional photographer these days. Everyone is a professional food critic, and yeah. I guess uh, falling into that, uh, a lot of uh, drone operators fancy themselves the next cinematographer extraordinaire, or I'll say news reporter. It sounds like, right. yeah. And, and those guys are getting in the way of firefighting aircraft, and the firefighting aircraft, they have rules that they have to obey, and their rules say that they have to divert. So what we have is two or three stories of people flying very large, very expensive uh, remote-controlled aircraft over fires and making the news. And because of those small number of people, um, the FAA is up in arms and deciding that they need to regulate everything. And interestingly enough, um, the media at large... Uh, is largely unaware of these mammoth filming aircraft. Uh, the, 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 I guess, I guess we have to hand it to DJI and their marketing budget because when you, when you say the word drone, people no longer think of the ones that carry Hellfire missiles. People think of a Phantom. I was gonna say, I don't know what kinds of aircraft you're building, uh, but, uh, I imagine, it- you're falling into the smaller aircraft category. I mean, you've got some pretty nice racers. Right. I fly predominantly racers. Uh, they are entirely full manual control. There's no GPS. There's no... I mean, I guess there's a fail-safe, but the fail-safe basically just tries to land the aircraft safely without it just falling to the ground. Um, but they are racers, and they're, they're in a separate category. The the drones that people refer to when they, they say the word drone... Um, are generally what I call hover and, hover and film uh, drones, which are Phantoms, which are the DJI Inspire 1, the SB900, all these other, the, the, the aircraft that have been specifically designed to be either professional or hobbyist camera platforms. The things that have GPS hold, they're very easy to fly, anybody can just go to Best Buy or Fry's or wherever and buy one for $1,500 and then have it in the sky, literally in the parking lot. Um, those require literally zero knowledge of aircraft, zero knowledge of telemetry, any of the wireless equipment. You don't need to buy goggles. You don't need to buy any extraneous equipment, uh, batteries, chargers, anything like that. You just buy the box, take it out to the parking lot, and that's it. You're good to go. And uh, as, as amazing as that is for a technology standpoint, as, you know, we live in the future and the future is amazing, it also means that, like, you know, Cletus, the guy that never graduated middle school who has one tooth left, can spend his moonshine money on, on now, a drone. I know you're not insulting moonshine because... <laughs> uh, no, moonshine is great, but you should probably be flying these things sober. <laughs> well, exactly, and that that was one of the critiques but also humorous points is if we're truly treating drones as aircraft and under the existing uh, regulations the you can't consume alcohol within eight hours prior to operations and there are some aspects in these new rules dealing with really the uh, how do they phrase it that you need to be of sound physical or mental condition for the safe operation but it, again that's only going to apply to the commercial operators from a hobbyist standpoint, really, what are you looking or what's expected from your viewpoint with how are there times when you make the decision, whether conditions aren't right, shouldn't be flying or aircraft doesn't look right or too many folks in this area that aren't supposed to be here? I mean, I'm assuming you haven't imbibed on the moonshine before you 
take your aircraft up in the air, but don't answer that. <laughs> so, so you bring up a couple of very good points. Uh, on the one hand, uh, if you think of it this way, um, if you're building your own, you're building your own aircraft. And I should say, for just for the sake of edification, the people that are in the the scene, the people that are doing the racing, they refer to these aircraft as quads. So you can tell who is who exists in what category um, by what they refer to the aircraft as. If they call it a quad, they're probably a racer themselves. If they call it a drone, they they might be media or they they might be somebody that owns a Phantom. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in the, in the racing scene, they're called quads. Um, I mean, it's short for quad rotor. And so, I was saying, you you referenced earlier a, a video that had went viral showing uh, operators who were in an area that was designated a, a model aircraft field and were visibly away from the crowds based on the video. And... Do you think that's going to change it? Some of that understanding of, it. in that case, uh, the woman picked up and was prepared to steal the fallen aircraft. Do you see that changing with these new rules, more understanding and education? Or uh, And we're going to have to hold that thought. We're going to take our first commercial break, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to... Buzz off with Lawyer Liz and Dan talking briefly about uh, the new rules from a hobbyist perspective. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, and we're chatting with Dan on really the FAA's new rules and from a hobbyist perspective and talking about out in California, kind of as a wrap-up question for Dan, 
What do you see with the education efforts? Do you see people embracing more of the hobbyists? Or how do you see that aspect playing out? If the FAA has this much trouble reaching the people that are passionate about the hobby that are very technical in nature, uh, I can't imagine the sort of uphill battle they're going to face trying to reach the rest of the people. Um, I, th- I think that these rules and regulations were put into place largely out of paranoia and fear and not out of the need for actual safety. I think they just want to make the public believe that they have a handle on things. So, um, I don't believe that the people that decided to put these rules together have a good idea of what uh, types of aircraft there are. There's been a lot of um, questions relating to, does this apply to model planes? Does this apply to RC cars? Does this apply to, to you know, dirigibles or, or weather balloons or anything like that? Because unmanned aerial, air, you know, unmanned aerial system or unmanned aircraft is pretty vague. Um, so I, I would imagine we're going to be seeing bizarre news about this for years. Well, and Dan, I hope you will join us back. We will be recording the show or bringing the show live from DEF CON and Black Hat out in Las Vegas at the beginning of August. So we'll have a little bit more time to pull, kind of cull through this, see what's going on. But thanks for joining today. And uh, like I said, hopefully you'll join the show back in August. But Dan, what's your company's website that if they want to find out more about what you're doing, they should do? So, uh, my company's website is phobos.io, and that's P-H-O-B-O-S dot I-O. Phobos, like the moon of Mars. Uh, we do what's called a tax simulation. So basically, if you remember what happened to Sony Pictures, uh, that massive, massive hack, uh, my company provides a service where we simulate that sort of attack so that the companies, our clients, uh, can get an idea of what it feels like and what they can do to protect themselves. And uh, the easiest analogy that I use is basically, you know, you, you, you can read as much as you want about how to duck a punch and how to get in a fight, but you're not going to know whether you have a shot until you actually try to duck a punch for real, right? There you so, go. So yeah. ducking punches in the air. And uh, thanks again <laughs> for joining us and look forward to our next conversation. But thank thanks. you, Dan. Thanks for having me on. And with the hobbyists trying to balance where they can fly, how they're flying, and really since the rules aren't going to apply as much to them, where you're really going to see the implication are on the public entities, the businesses, kind of the commercial and the public use. And so we're bringing in Bo Leroy with Integrated Science and Technology as someone who has both holds a current Section 333 exemption and operates flights and projects with the company, but they do so much more. They've worked with different both public and private entities on creating their rules for their program. So with that, Bo, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll be able to share some of the different insights on what what they've done to uh, really craft programs and policies out of nothing. I mean, with up until uh, up until two years ago, you FA wasn't didn't start issuing the three thirty three exemption. So, though. Welcome to the show, and 
share with us a little bit about what y'all are y'all are doing and excited to see what you're going to be able to do once these rules go into effect. So, Bo, welcome. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, my name is Bo Leroy. I'm with a company called IST, Integrated Science and Technology. We're based out of Atlanta. Um, for the last four years, I've been working on pretty much nonstop uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, primarily developing protocols to ensure safe operation. You know, when I got into it, you know, years ago, my first hurdle was to put together a program to where we can collect data, accurate data, but most importantly, safely collect data and safely be able to uh, replicate that time and time again in using other teams. So, you know, we were heavily based with, with safety. Safety's number one. You know, we did a lot of work for oil and gas companies, a lot of Fortune 500 companies, um, and, and that was the core process of really, you know, working with the FAA a little bit. You know, I didn't get a whole lot of guidance from them. The biggest thing was we better never catch you flying with negligence <laughs> was one of the biggest ones. And, and of course, they define negligence for sure. you, right? You know, and uh, and one of the things you brought up, uh, one item that is missing from, or at least from my tentative looking through some of the uh, the rules and going through the talking points is the data. I mean, these these rules genu- seem to truly just get to the heart of the aircraft itself and right. operations. They're not really addressing yet that second aspect of the technology, the software, and the after effect right. of the you operations. You actually have two sets of data, and probably the only set of data that the FAA is going to care about is going to be your telemetry and how your aircraft's behaving and showing that you understand, you know, what's going on in that aircraft, especially operating remotely. The other part of the data is going to be more client-driven with regards to what you're collecting. You know, what we call it today is more remote sensing. Um, Remote sensing can include anything from a color camera all the way to uh, you know, to an air sampling using different types of optical. Um, there's all different types of remote sensing that are will be coming out here fairly shortly, and lighter payloads that can be deployed with a UAV. And you know, the, so when you're it, talking about the payloads that can be deployed. I mean, are you talking about the packages that right. you know you've got Amazon, Walmart, Google, just about everybody is ready to carry something, but in the agriculture. In agribusiness world, I mean, you've also got the spraying and I'm assuming, too, with the firefighting. I mean, those seem some great uses. Are those some of the issues y'all have looked at as well with the payloads? Right. Some of the, the some, some payloads of interest for precision agriculture are going to be more your multispectral and hyperspectral imagery to where... We're actually collecting specific bands across the electromagnetic spectrum. The airways, the radio waves around us? uh, It's more just the light Mm -hmm. um, of the electromagnetic spectrum, and that's a whole different ballgame as far as how some people understand it. But it's um, basically you apply an algorithm to it, and you can start to uh, sense uh, stress vegetation to where the human eye will not see this stress until maybe a week or two later. 
Um, and then by that, if you say you have a crop that's a thousand acres in size and you fly it, use one of these uh, remote sensing devices, you may see stress vegetation that may take up not more than a hundred acres. So, so as I say, with the, with the rules and really getting into the visual line of sight, the restrictions on no hazardous materials, do you see any immediate impact on the precision ag uses that you've been working in once these go into effect at the end of August? Yes, I mean, initially, my gut feeling, you know, visual line of sight is definitely going to come into an effect of negatively affecting, um, you know, most people trying to operate, especially in precision ag, as you've got some large crops out there. Uh, you also bring up a good point with hazardous materials because, you know, if you're taking a, uh, a UAV up to carry a payload that contains pesticides, fertilizers, all of that could be uh falling under the hazardous materials. So there's definitely going to be restrictions there, but but some of that is they do need the restrictions. They do need a little bit more control of that because we don't live in a safe world where we can trust everyone, but there, there, there should be some things implemented there, but you're right. The visual line of sight and the payloads of carrying chemicals and things are going to definitely be uh, something where you just can't go out tomorrow and, and deploy and operate. Well, and one of the other restrictions is that you're not going to be able to fly and this, during the same operation across state lines. So knowing down in South Georgia, North Florida, for example, there are different farms that operate across those state lines, or Georgia, South Carolina. How do you see that impacting? Are you going to have to break down the projects of today, we're going to do this, I mean, what happens if you accidentally fly over, you know, you basically go wide uh, on your flight pattern? Do you see that impacting how you're going to change your flight operation planning? That I would not so much if, you know, if I'm just crossing, you know, if I'm turning and coming back and I'm just very close to a state line, I don't I don't know if the FAA would actually pay a whole lot of attention to that. Um but that is a good question, and that's something I don't have a, a clear line on at this time. But as far as traveling, I could see there being an issue of me setting up in the state of Georgia and doing primarily my entire operation across the river into South Carolina. I definitely see an issue there. Um, but those are definitely some good questions that are going to need clarification going forward. Well, and as a current 333 section holder, you don't have to operate under these new rules once they go into effect. You can continue using and operating under the rules of your 333. Do you anticipate, but you have to pick one. You can't, uh, from the explanations and information the FAA released yesterday, if you're going to operate under 107, it's all in under 107. If you're operating under your section 333, or if you're working as a public entity or, you know, a university, you're all in under your COA. Do you all see making that switch or are you going to, for now at least, continue under operating using your 333 rules? We're, it, that's also a good, con- good question. We're actually kind of laying both out to see how they would adversely or, or improve our operations. 
Um, the one thing I love about the Section 333 is that it gives us the opportunity to apply for traditional COA, which gives us much more flexibility for a particular type of job. However, you do need, you know, much more uh, uh, expertise at Barry, you need a pilot's license and some other well, things. ASA, we're going to jump to a commercial break, but the pilot's licenses and the certifications are certainly uh, up next. And with that, stick around. We're going to take a commercial break. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm chatting with Bo Leroy, and we were talking about some of the, you know, right now to operate commercially, you have to have a pilot's license, uh, and at least one member of your team does at, that's operating the aircraft at the time. And under the new rules, there's going to be an easier way, so to speak, that you can instead get a remote uh pilot certification is that how do you think that's going to impact i mean one advantage for some of the commercial operators but you do have a pilot that you understand really the how how these aircraft are operating up in the air have you looked at any of the materials or information they've put out on the remote certificate or thoughts on that you know, when the, when the park came out yesterday, I did do some digging to see if I could find out exactly uh, what they were going to provide as an exam. Um, taking the ground school exam for a standard pilot's license, 
Um, I think it does give you a good background on how to adjust for weather, but most importantly with the UAV, it teaches you more about the airspace and how to interact with air traffic control. But more importantly, one thing that people are going to have issues with and need to understand how to operate around are the non-controlled airports where they don't have an air traffic control tower. Those are the ones where you're going to have to, to be more attentive and use an airman's radio uh, to be monitoring the airspace uh, as you're operating within or near that uncontrolled airport. Um, so what I, was, what I want to see uh, for the airman's uh, exam is hopefully they'll take out a good bit of it, what it has to do with weight and balance of an airplane, and pack it a little bit more with stuff that is more applicable to UAV. But I definitely think it's a, it's a great idea and a great application to get everyone exposed to understanding airspace and how to communicate using an airman's radio. Those are very important. Now, and before we wind up, and hopefully you'll come back and share with us a little bit more of some of the projects on future shows, but one thing, of course, the lawyer in me wanted to ask was, under the new rules, you have to report to the FAA within 10 days of the operation an incidents that or crash that results in property damage exceeding $500, or serious injury or loss of consciousness. So I'm not saying that y'all have ever crashed any of your aircraft during operations because I don't know that your insurer wants to hear that. But do you see that that $500 property damage, how do you see that playing out? It all depends on how the FAA is going to respond to that. You know, one of the fears is, you know, if you, if you do have a $500 loss, and that probably might be your own copter, you know, having a hard landing or something, but the FAA, if you report that, they're likely going to shut you down pending an investigation. I hope they don't, but that's going to be probably most in most people's minds. Now, the way our program's developed is we report everything from a near-miss, unsafe condition, because um, those are the things that you want to, to note and you want to be vocal about because if you fix those issues that causes a near miss or unsafe condition, those are going to protect you from having a, a major loss or an accident. Um, so we I highly recommend, you know, noting that, noting all your near losses and, and near misses and putting corrective actions in to do that, and that will nine times out of ten keep you from having a major accident. But well. I'll say, fingers crossed uh, that the next time we talk, you do not have uh, additional insights on that to the negative. Uh, But uh, Bo Leroy with Integrated Science and Technology. And Bo, thank you for joining us and appreciate your time and insights from the commercial operator perspective. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And really, you can't... so. With the rules and the with the way uh, drones are operating in our airspace, now you have the hobbyists who are expressly exempted from these new rules. You have the commercial businesses, which call it drone rising. It's going to the barrier of entry is lower, so you're going to see a lot more of the uh, companies from photography to inspections, but you can't get there without 
having the research aspect and really building the next generation of aircraft, finding out what these aircraft are capable of. And you do that through testing. And the United States has been at a disadvantage for many years because other countries don't have such hard, such stringent rules, and be it because the U.S. has the most active airspace in the world. But I invited our next guest is Eric Johnson with the School of Aerospace Engineering at Georgia Tech. And truly, Georgia Tech is a world-renowned research institute and leading the way and has been home to or working with, for example, CNN as CNN develops the beyond visual line of sight, how the news media can use this drone technology as part of the FAA's Pathfinder program. And Eric's also been instrumental in educating, providing the background information to the Georgia legislators who are addressing this issue, as well as the FAA and working with that. So, Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us and really want to see how, of course, I'm assuming you have had lots of time to read through all 624 pages and fully digested every bit of it, but really get your thoughts and insights from the research and the university perspective. So welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. It's really kind of an exciting Exciting time because we've been following this, uh, the process is the sort of torturous process as these rules have come about over many, many years. With we've been following it with great interest, and uh, yeah, it's exciting that it's finally here. I guess you asked me. I guess talk a little bit about how um, how this uh, how this might impact or how how it might impact us sort of in the in the in academia and research, if you will. Uh, just just a few 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 comments. I think. Uh, one, I think it's an important uh, to point out that uh, there, the, the, it, it came up earlier in the show this, the fact that the hobbyists are uh, some, they're, they're somewhat uh, separate from this from this action. They, they don't uh, they have their their own set of rules. It's actually been clarified recently that that uh, for, for some of uh, our classroom use of UAVs will actually still f- fall under the hobbyist rules as well. So this, that, that that was kind of an interesting moment. That was just a couple weeks ago that that that, that took place. Well, that's great. Now, do you find working with university students or uh, local clubs that 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 comes into play in what they're doing, that they're really gathering and doing it not for their ac- academic studies but just for fun? Uh, absolutely, yeah. And, and there's really been a, a dramatic increase uh, of that uh, just in the last few years uh, at Georgia Tech and I'm sure other places as well. But yeah, there's actually quite a vibrant community of, of, of folks that do it uh, for for fun, um, and then uh, and then uh, some of my own students they get they get to do it for fun and for and for work. So they actually get paid to do this stuff, which is kind of neat. Well, and really, if it's if you enjoy what you do, it's not truly work. But yeah. you know, somebody has to uh, do the research. So we thank them for combining both. Now, are you a pilot yourself? Uh, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm a private pilot, rated pri- private pilot, um, and uh, and I do. Uh, Fly, fly this stuff for fun as well, model aircraft for fun uh, as well as for, for research. All right. So favorite uh, 
unmanned aircraft that you're flying these days? Do you have one? Can you choose favorites amongst your, you know, baby, so to speak, or really just depends on what you're in the mood for that day? That's a great, that's a great question. I actually do have an answer for that. Um, um, we, we've, uh, we've been flying, uh, the, uh, the Yamaha R-Max, uh, helicopter, uh, since, let's see, so, oh man, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm not gonna get the year right. Since before I actually came to Georgia Tech, actually, we've been flying the Yamaha R-Max platform, which for those of you who don't know about it, it's used for uh, crop dusting in Japan, for aerial application in Japan. And so kind of highlighting, too, the fact that the leading technology in this was not necessarily a U.S. manufacturer because they couldn't. That it, mm-hmm. The Japanese certainly have created a very versatile aircraft with that. That's right, Nick. It, uh, we, we love it for research because it can carry some weight, and it's nice and reliable, and we can fly researchers in from across the country, and we know the engine's going to start and so on. And uh, we've been flying we've been, one particular aircraft we've been flying extensively since uh, 2003, um, and uh, so it uh, you know, has, a, has a special place in our hearts, I guess. Just, in fact, we, uh, we were joking the other day that we should put a little mark every time somebody, data from that aircraft ends up in somebody's Ph.D. thesis. Just put a little mark on the side of the aircraft each time we do that. Well, you know, I was I was proud of my Airhog Millennium Falcon uh, because <laughs> it it made it into the official comments working with the Georgia legislators legislators this year. I think at least five times it will show up in the record. So I think your aircraft deserves that. That they need to uh, <laughs> at very at the very least uh, give a nod to that particular aircraft, or maybe a gold star on the tail or something. Yeah, we're, we need to come up with something. But but you raise a good point that if you know what you're doing with the aircraft, the maintenance. I mean, it does require a little attention to an understanding of how it works, but they're they're fairly sturdy depending on what you're doing and depending on how they're being maintained, correct? Or um, Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a, like I said, it's become a, um, a real go-to aircraft for us, among others. I mean, we have other aircraft we use a lot for, for research. But I found our own research, research has been um, most successful when we take the time to really do our homework, to uh, really test things well. To do, We do a lot with simulation, for example where we validate everything we're going to do in, in simulation tools before we go out and actually do research test flying. Uh, and, you know, these are, in, and these, are, these are things we instill in our students. And so when they go off and do this in industry, they've, they've learned some best practices and a safety culture and so on. Well, and, and the new rules are looking at and requiring the pre-flight checklist. And so do you see anything that you're doing that's going to change because of that? Or really y'all had already set the bar Pretty high. Um, I, I, nothing's jumped out at me that would uh, necessarily change what we're going to do. I mean, I think I think it is likely we will do some operations in the future under the 107. I think that's I think that's pretty likely. I mean, as a public entity, we get to use the, the previously mentioned COA process. Uh, we also do flying in military airspace, which is another another mechanism. But uh, yeah, that's, um, another thing I would characterize our flying is, is this is research test flying, so it tends to be. And we do we do testing uh, of software, so of guidance navigation control software. So it tends to be relatively high risk uh, testing. Uh, so some of the, so we ha- we do have to take precautions beyond what you would see here in 107. Well, and we'll get into a little bit more of what y'all are doing in the sense of if it's going to change stuff. But we're going to jump to a commercial break. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. 
Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz and chatting with Eric Johnson with the School of Aerospace Engineering at Georgia Tech. And Eric, with your programs and your students, y'all have really been conducting research all over the world or working with partners. How do you see this changing with our, do you see more opportunities now once these rules go into effect with keeping it local or at least keeping it within the U.S.? Or um, I, I think that's going to that that it hasn't been. A, I don't think there'll be much of a change for us specifically because we are we are a public entity being you know being part of the the, the state of Georgia, so we we were able to use the co-op process. I think you'd see as far as academia is concerned. I think you'd see a bigger shift at some of the private universities. Where they were, they were a bit more limited in what they, in what they could do. So, as far as us being able to do what we want to do with our research flying in Georgia, we've actually kind of been okay. Um, um. Now, with the current rules, even for the COA, you have to have the pilot involved with the pr- proposed and rules coming into effect at the end of August. Do you see more? students getting involved and going under that online or not online but the the reduced the remote operator testing i could see that opening up these opportunities for a lot more increased participation do you foresee that yeah I, I i do yeah but that for example today i think uh, i think four of my students or four, four people in my lab including me uh, meet the medical uh, standards and testing standards for COAs, and and I think that it'd be a kind of a similar number w- that we would see with the with the the new certificate, the new remote pilot certificate in the future. 
Well, and I was going to say, are, are you worried about some of the competition from research that could be conducted, for example, at Mercer uh, University? I mean, is there a bit of academic rivalry between the schools that you need sure. to throw down the gauntlet and oh, let yeah. them know? <laughs> yeah, yeah we, 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 uh, yeah, we always think about the, the sort of competition, I guess, and the rivalries, of course. Uh, uh, George Tech's been at this a long time. In fact, the the, the lab that I, I'm the director of, the U of E Research Facility, was founded in in 1990, making it one of one of the first uh, doing doing work in this area. I came along in in 1997, and uh, and uh, so I think I think we have we have a pretty good head start. So I feel, I feel okay in terms of us maintaining some leadership in this area, but. But yeah, no, I think it's 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 a good thing that uh, that, that this technology is uh, th- there's a greater chance to get more academic work done in this area. So I think I applaud it from that perspective. Well, and you bringing up how long y'all have been working on this? Where do you see do you see the rules in your initial read? This is a good step forward. They got some of it right, uh, or. With your experience and knowing, been there, done that, you have the T-shirt, you know, so to speak. Are there things you would have liked to see different? Well, definitely, definitely. I think I think uh, what you sort of see here is a, a reaction to sort of what's going on already. So it, it sort of creates a, a legal framework for a lot of activities that are sort of already happening through a lot of three thirty three exemptions and, and things that were maybe being done uh, being done in the shadows to some extent. Uh, so it's uh, you know so it's sort of a in that sense it's a bit of a baby step and I think the main thing a lot of us would have liked to have seen more of is uh, performance based standards because uh, this there's this is a snapshot in time in terms of what technology can make safe and uh, it would have been nice if if some of the requirements in here uh, to be allowed to fly um, uh, there would be a push to enable uh, the technology to allow you to, in the future to to meet it more easily and just just to give one concrete example of what I'm talking about uh, there's a restriction here that you have to have one operator per one UAV or one drone uh, which makes maybe it may make sense today but it's I think it's pretty easy to see that future technology may make that a, a bit irrelevant well exactly this the swarming and building on what we were talking about for the break with how where the focus of some of your research or your your program's research has been is on the flight controls and the technology side. I mean, it's it seems that the rules that were released yesterday don't really take up the technology aspects. It's really focusing on the aircraft itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can imagine the stuff you're working on today is going to be obsolete, so to speak, five years from now, but even more so a year from now, six months from now, we're going to be doing complete, or you're going to be looking at completely different aspects or building on that. Does that make it possible for them to regulate the technology side? Or Yeah, I've, I had the uni- uh, uni- somewhat unique experience of uh, doing research and then a few years later seeing that research for sale in a, in a toy store. So that was, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's sort of the, rea- you know, that's the, that's the pace that's coming and it's coming even faster, as you say. And I think it, it's okay. t- it's very tough, and it's and it's a non traditional role for the FAA to, to to take to even try to do that. So you know, I I, I can somewhat understand why it didn't happen this time. But were but you insulted or impressed <laughs> by the price of your research? I mean, did you want to take a sharpie and either mark it down or say, "Wow, 
I should have gotten. I should have received more money for that. <laughs> uh, a lot of different uh, reactions, I guess. <laughs> now, the better question is for sure. Did you buy it? Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of them, correct? I mean, you cut pretty much. Yeah. Drive up the sales on Amazon. Yeah, and of course you learn from it too, because uh, you know when they when it gets commoditized to that level, they, there's more innovation that happens that uh, that's always neat to see. Well, in Georgia Tech, the McCamish uh, Pavilion is going to be host of the. AUVSI, an organization that I'm an, a member of and an officer with here in Atlanta, the Association for Unmanned Vehicle Systems International, say that five times fast, mm. has a collegiate-level robotics competition, aerial robotics, IARC. And they're in their 25th year. They'll be competing again at Georgia Tech in August. And really, they're focused on solving problems but in 25 years, they're still solving their sixth mission, or is it mission seven? And I'm not that, sure. I'll say, and that, and that pace. Do you find that's accurate? I mean, do you find you're solving problems faster, slower? Is the speed changing now that you've been doing it for this long? Oh wow, well, I don't know. That's a tough question to answer. It, it feels about the same, I guess, in terms of the in terms of the pace. I think one thing that is very different, like say in the last five years. Is is the amount of attention it's getting? That's that's a that's a big difference, and the and the very big the big rise of the the commercial, the commercial aspect of it, which I think I think that is that is going to change uh, that is going to change the pace. I'm sure. Um, I'll say that's we'll, a, we'll see the the rise of the drones. I mean, you have the commercial operators. The as you point out, the attention to it. You see more video games, movies, TV shows that. Are incorporating this technology into their storylines, or uh, and again, the toy stores. You see your research uh, for sale down the road. It, it with this rule coming on, and again, the FAA is still working with industry leaders on the technology side, the information security. How do we how do we lock down both the information and the systems? during operation but how how do we lock down that data after the fact what data is collected i mean is that something that y'all have turned your attention to or are you still there's enough going on with the with the flights themselves yeah my my group i'm not speaking for all of georgia tech by by any by any stretch but my own research we tend to focus less on the data and more on the the, uh, the the sort of flight operation aspect of it, the guidance, navigation, control algorithms, obstacle avoidance, uh, safety, those are some of the things that we've tended to, to focus on. Well, and is it the Navy has gone back to uh, teaching celestial navigation again? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, in fact, uh, specifically uh, reducing the reliance on the global positioning GPS uh, satellite uh, system, is a, that's a huge area for us, a uh, very, very important one. Well, you'll have to come back and, if you will humor uh, me and the listeners, and talk, share with some of about that. Because one of the things we've talked about with some of the re- security researchers on projects is how these systems and our reliance on them with the Internet of Things, the larger between the cars, that all of this information and the system cells aren't necessarily as secure as they could be, and what happens when it goes wrong. And really when you're talking with the autonomous cars, but from the air, and 
not to forget or overlook the autonomous vehicles that the drones, so to speak, in the in the water that mm-hmm. are going to permit us to uh, both explore unknown and conduct research, but also work on repairs of vessels and different structures that are underwater that would love to get your insights and perhaps even bring some of your students if they'd be willing to join us and give them a platform to promote. I mean, they're all going to be future job seekers, correct? Yeah, and they have have some pretty wild ideas too. So yeah, absolutely. Well, and is there a website that to learn more about your programs at Georgia Tech that uh, our listeners could go to? Um, Sure. Uh, My uh, lab website is uh, UAVRF dot uh, gatech g-a-t-e-c-h dot e-d-u or if you just google my name eric johnson georgia tech you'd probably find my lab pretty fast and we have a youtube channel as well which is uh, i think has some neat uh, highlights of some of our uh, more interesting flight research well and again thank you for joining us today eric and uh, check out the youtube channel you've been listening to buzz off with lawyer liz on america's web radio catch us Each week, live Wednesdays from 2 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Catch us. The podcasts are available on America's Web Radio. I am your host, at Lawyer Liz on Twitter with Hall Booth Smith. And thanks for joining us and chatting about the buzz from above with the rise of the drones. And can't wait to see what happens with us. Until then, go forth and conquer. Join us again.